Blog Talk Radio. All right, now we're live with everybody. So we got the Facebook world, we got our friends at the Vibe Radio Network, and everybody who's watching us. So, uh, oh, yeah, and there's Whitney. Hi, Whitney. How are you this evening? And uh, Patrick, good evening. Hey, Patrick. Yeah, we're, we're multitasking earlier and maybe maybe not, but just so well. So we're. Uh, Early. Uh, just a minute or so behind. If you, you want me to trim those light, I'm back in the other room again. Okay. I'm trying to find the here. There we go. All right. Just makes me look like I got a got a car like barreling down on it from over here. Not the black cords in the dark. So I hope everybody's doing pretty well. I hope everybody had a. Uh, um, uh, good uh, last couple of weeks, and now here we are, kind of officially in the uh, summer season. So too hot out. It is. It is rather toasty. Way too hot out. Yeah. I've considered actually, you know, possibly like, oh yeah, maybe we can go and do this in the in the yard or on the fire pit or something like that. No, no, it's a little too warm for that. So here we are in our normal space, and uh, yeah, got our babies all ready to go and ready to talk about some. Uh, Camping. Mm-hmm. And the girls heard camping, and now they're playing inside the um, uh, suitcase. Yes, the girls are around, so hopefully they'll decide to um, to come over and say hello, and hopefully not cause too much racket off the <laughs> side there. Literally, one of the suitcase ones on top. They're having, the suitcase. they're having a good old time over there. Oh. They, they enjoyed vacation anyway. That. Yes, they enjoyed vacation tremendously. They spent the, the whole time basically sitting up in the windows, watching the birds fly by. So, yeah, good old, good old time there. Now they're now they're back to watching their uh, their plain old squirrel friends, if you will. Squirrel TV is not entertaining. It's the bird. It's the bird TV. There were glass birds. So anyway. So, but yeah, so yeah, we got. Camping tonight, and we decided to do camping tonight because, well, kind of it's camping season. It's camping season now. We're in the uh, in the summer months, and uh, I don't know about you, but we actually haven't managed to actually get to go camping in a few years now. Yeah, we've been meaning to. Hopefully, at some we point. We took over the business, and camping went away. Yeah, so <laughs> it's been a few years. Maybe later this summer, maybe we can escape for a weekend or something like that, someplace nearby, and get out and have some time around the campfire again. But uh, yeah, it's just been a little while. Mm-hmm. So we were feeling a little nostalgic, and uh, yeah. so here we are with our monthly camp for the first night. But you get to sing something? I get to sing something. All right. I get, I get to read the intro. You do. Yeah. Because we're so far done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the fire is burned low and darkness has set in. After hours of roasting marshmallows and partaking in some adult beverages, as you do, you think you're ready to get some sleep, but then you hear it. Something rustling outside in the leaves. Not a breath of air is stirring, as you can't be your campmates who quickly succumb to sleep just a few feet away. You start to think of the bloody, haunted tales about your campsite that punctuated the evening into chit-chat. While the stories drew laughter earlier, they are now starting to run wild in the depths of your imagination. Your heart rate rises as adrenaline mixes with the sugar and the booze of the previously enjoyed fireside treats. What possessed you to stay at a haunted campground? <laughs> now, when people ask about our style, Haunts of Richmond, we t- generally like to tell them what, you, what you're going to hear on one of our tours. It's kind of akin to something that you'll uh, hear like, when you're sitting around a campfire, the type of campfire stories that you share. And tonight we're going to give them just this little bit of a twist, and instead of... Uh, uh, the uh, ghost stories about the spirit, um, uh, you know, telling uh, ghost stories in a style that you might hear around the campfire, we're going to be telling stories about the spirits that you might actually encounter when you're sitting by the campfire. So, here we go with our first stop this evening. We're actually going out to uh, your sister's state now. Yeah, yeah. The woods. sister's neck of the woods. We are going to the desert southwest. Yeah, now she just got back from camping. Not at this location. I told her about this location. She's like, I need to check it out. She's going to add it to the list. <laughs> so, in this state, it is New Mexico. The land of enchantment, as it is known. Camping in this beautiful state is always a true nature experience, but it is also home to some very creepy haunted tales, 
which brings us to the Holy Ghost Campground. This pristine patch of land is situated in a canyon surrounded by the Pecos Mountains in the unincorporated town of Torero along Holy Ghost Creek. As part of the Santa Fe National, Mon- National Forest, there are plenty of hiking trails and incredible views to enjoy, all with the side of the paranormal. Bearing the name Holy Ghost, it seems appropriate that the most prevalent ghost is that of a priest that was murdered there centuries ago. According to local legends, the Pueblo Indians revolted against the Spanish in August of 1680. All the Spanish left the area except for a lone priest. He stayed behind to continue his mission of converting the Pueblo Indians to Christianity. The Pueblo Indians were not only unwilling to submit to his conversion efforts, but they were also seeking vengeance for the torture and slavery that they were subjected to by the Spanish. Their anger was ultimately turned on the priest, and spirits have been seen wandering the woods ever since. Reports point to possible hauntings by not only the priests, but also those of the Pueblo Indians themselves. Campers have reported seeing shadowy forms walking through the trees, ceremonial chanting has been heard echoing through the forest, and mysterious lights have been seen floating through the woods. The priest isn't the uh, only one to meet an untimely end in these woods. Gruesome car accidents, deadly fights between bikers, and even a number of missing people have been reported in and around the site where the campground resides today. So plenty of uh, more recent paranormal people as well. All of this adds to the grim and mysterious nature of the paranormal tales that permeate the site today. Local guides routinely share stories of unusual activity, and some have deemed the site the Bermuda Triangle of New Mexico. The explanations for their activity range from pockets of energy to dimensional wormholes to UFOs and beyond. A group of skeptical editors from Outside Magazine decided, decided to brave a night at Holy Ghost Campground uh, to test the claims of paranormal activity. The night passed uneventfully, but the next morning, a member of the group got up early to go fishing in Holy Ghost Creek. About ten minutes in, her hook got snagged on a root along the stream bank. As she worked to free the hook, she saw a dark figure of a man in her peripheral vision approaching her. She recalled that he was walking weird, kind of loping. Initially, she thought it was her husband coming over to tell her how cold he was, walking strangely in an attempt to warm up. But then she turned to greet him and there was no one there. While many uh, guests uh, to Holy Ghost Campground have had various experiences with the paranormal, the park staff don't don't at all seem uh, interested in sharing their own stories of the paranormal. The park's official position is that paranormal stories are only tall tales. There are no spirits at Holy Ghost Campground, at least according to them. According to them, but why does your name Holy Ghost? I mean, yes, I guess it's preached, but it's a blend to Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you don't want to uh, have to deal with the stories of paranormal, don't put ghosts in your name. Yeah. Just a <laughs> hint. Yep. All right, so we're going to pop up to New York, which is, uh, of course, where Chris and I originally are from. Uh, but we're going to go to Big Moose Lake. Now, grizzly murders are a perfect fuel for the tales of the paranormal, and this holds true to the story of Big Moose Lake, that well-documented murder of Grace Brown in 1906. Located in the remote Black Lungs wilderness region of the Adirondacks in a place that has the primitive campsites, the lake, and the killing that has been placed there has inspired numerous based-on-true stories. The story gained national attention through a series of movies folk songs, and books that were inspired by the tale for many decades after the true event occurred. Some of these works include An American Tragedy by Theodore Dreiser, a novel in 1926. It later appeared on Broadway and then was adapted into film in 1971. Another one was A Place in the Sun, it was a movie in 1951, and the Academy Award-winning film starring Elizabeth Taylor. The Northern Life by Jennifer Donnelly was a novel in 2003. Adirondack Tragedies the Gillette Murder Case of 1906 by Burnell and Wazorski was a nonfiction based on it in 1986. And Unsolved Mysteries made an episode of it in 1996. It was, um, what was it? Season 8, number 9. 
They passed the excuse me, they passed the leg only to see the figure of grace over the leg. Another worker described a similar incident and where she uh, when her flashlight actually refused to work. She saw Grace at the edge of the lake and felt a considerable sadness and annoyance. The figures often witness drowning, but some have also reported seeing her wandering around the lake shore or visiting a small cottage and settlement nearby. Perhaps this is her way of protesting her own inner light being snuffed out in such an abrupt and callous manner. I noticed. <laughs> Everybody chatting on here tonight. <laughs> we like chat. Yes. I just hear him typing away, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Shut up, pause. I would have let you know. <laughs> We're all good. No, chatting about, uh, you know, camping and how bloody hot it is outside right now. Yeah, today's not a good camping. No, no. Patrick was saying that this is a, uh, a good day to spend in front of an open refrigerator door. Or crawling inside. Mm, yes. Big walk-in, too. Yeah, we got fans going all around us here. And sorry, AC. <laughs> yeah, the AC thing running non-stop. So, yeah. yeah, it's a little cozy here. But also uh, plugging Whitney's book. Ah, yes. Yep. We got in the mail. Yep. So our friend Whitney Zahar, who's uh, with... Um, uh, Ashland bookstores. Um, she actually just published a book um, called The Faith Room. Uh, so uh, we picked up our copy off Amazon. Yep. Uh, so uh, you can get it it's, uh, on Kindle, and uh, we we actually we splurged for the paperback. <laughs> but they so came, she can sign it. Yeah, so we can get her to sign it next time we see her. But it arrived in the mail on Saturday. So we haven't had a chance to read it. No, do need to dive in and read it. But we will get around to doing that. Yes. So, from New York, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a plunge down into the deep south, the deep, deep south, where we're going all the way down to the, uh, the state of Florida. I don't know. Florida's weird. You know, yeah, it's deep south, but does it really feel like deep south? No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, so down there, state of Florida, and, uh, now, uh, this, is, uh, this is one location where uh, it, it, the location is actually named Camp Helen State Park, right. which makes you think, camping. No, not so much. Once not, upon a time. Once upon a time, yes, but not so much anymore. So while it's no longer an, uh, an overnight campground, uh, the site was just, it was a little too tantalizing for us to just keep it off our list for tonight. We wanted to go ahead and include it anyways. Uh, so if you go down there and just off of U.S. Highway 98 at the western edge of Panama City Beach, you'll find Camp Helen State Park. It's a good place to pull off the road, park, and stretch your legs. There's a small visitor center that tells the history of the 183-acre property, and the hike down to the beach rewards visitors with amazing views and a quiet stretch of breathtaking white sand. The main house at the park, now called the Lodge, was built as a summer house by Robert Hicks for his wife and daughter. The surrounding camping cabins, known as the Rainbow Cottages, were built by Margaret Hicks after the death of her husband in 1932 as a means of providing some income during the harsh years of the Great Depression. But the beautiful areas around the cabins and the lodge belie the tragic history of this life from generations past. If you find the right local, you might be regaled with the curious tales of not one, but three specters said to inhabit the ground. For seven years, between 2006 and 2013, the Friends of Camp Helen State Park held popular ghost walks at the park. The tours came to an end when the cost became prohibited, but that doesn't stop some of the locals from continuing to share the popular tales today. Back in 1843, a ship ran aground during a storm on New Year's Eve at the site of the current state park. While repairs to the ship were being made, the crew made contact with local natives who they initially thought were going to be friendly. At first, the natives were friendly until they abruptly were not. One day when the captain was out trying to secure food, the Indians suddenly attacked and a woman named Rose was killed. They wound up burying her in a shallow grave. Eventually, everyone aboard the ship came to suffer the same fate as Rose. Most were killed when Captain Phillips had gone uh, further inland to try and find food for those on the ship, and when he eventually returned, he, too, was murdered by the natives. 
The sudden and swift demands of death has resulted in at least two spirits that wander the area of the modern campground. The Hicks family eventually sold the property to a man named Donald Cummer. A relative, Hugh Cummer, a prim and proper Sunday school teacher from Birmingham, Alabama, was invited down for a visit to check the place out. He stayed in the Hicks log home, and after a day of travel, Hugh had, had dinner and went to bed early in Margaret Hicks's old room. It didn't take long for him to no longer be alone. A large menacing spirit appeared beside the bed and gravely stated, this is my house. Get out of my house. It's believed that this was actually Captain Phillips, and his angry presence has left many people deeply shaken or worse. A few guests have reported having seizures immediately after dealing with him. Considering that the house was built well after the captain's death, it speaks to the fact that the captain is very much aware of the circumstances that have him tied there, and he likely believes that the land is rightfully his as it is paid for with the blood of his passengers and himself. The other spirit that haunts this area is the aforementioned Rose, who was the first to die at the hand of the natives. Rose was a young slave aboard the ship, and while Captain Phillips' spirit is angry and terrifying, Rose's spirit seems quieter and calmer. She has been seen walking along the shoreline at night, some have even reported seeing her rise from the site where she was believed to have been buried. The tale of the shipwreck isn't the only tragedy to happen on this beautiful, peaceful location. Sadly, Marker Hicks's only grandson, George, drowned in Lake Powell on the property. He had been left in the care of a cook and his nursemaid, who were busy preparing lunch when he wandered off. It is suspected that he went to play on the boat dock and fell in. Since his death, people have often reported seeing a young child playing on the beach or sitting on the dock alone. It is said that George's spirit was first seen in 1996 when a passing fisherman saw a little boy playing on the beach. That seemed unremarkable, but the caretaker assured him that nobody lived on the property anymore. Sightings continue uh, to this day. So, you go down to check out Camp Helen down there. And now, mind yourself, if you go uh, take a tour of the main lodge building there. But, yeah, it's, it's really cute. It's, I'm kind of ashamed that it no longer allows camping. I mean, there's these rainbow cottages. They're they, beautiful. They're, they're very pretty. They, they line the walk based in the water, and they can house uh, anywhere from two to four people. And it's a you know, nice little cozy, cozy camp getaway down there. But it's what it is. Yeah, things change. Things do change. Uh, now, this one is weird. <laughs> local and weird and grim and grisly and have fun. Comments by Nomi. We had kitty comments. Gina finally allowed me to snag her. Oh, kitty, everybody say hi. Yeah, they're not feeling the, the, the video feed tonight. It's warm. They don't want to be held. All right, so we're going up to Bradley Pond in Virginia. This is about 60 miles from Charlottesville in the George Washington National Forest. It's the site of Virginia's most haunted campground. Now, the rumor that disembodied laughter, floating figures, and unearthly activity escalated after a gruesome gang murder that took place there. On May 22nd of 2003, 19-year-old Christopher S. Kennedy was lured to the site where a gang member stabbed him 13 times in the chest and back and then dumped his body in the water. Kennedy's body was discovered by the police partially submerged in the pond. The Augusta County Sheriff's time uh, stated at the time there was a lot of violence at the crime scene. Not long after the murder, the paranormal researcher and empath Shia Willis visited the pond with her team. The group arrived around 4.30 in the afternoon, and they made their way along the trail to the bridge and towards the dam beyond. Willis recalled experiencing a very strong sense of what happened there. The moment she set foot on the bridge, she recalled it was so heavy as it to be almost powerful. I knew immediately that this was not my own feeling. I was feeling something that belonged to somebody else. By the time the group arrived at the dam, two of the team members were physically sick. They began to panic, and they went further around to the side of the dam. They sat down at the edge of the woods to calm down. By that time, Willis was feeling nauseous herself. She had never been frightened of the paranormal previously, but she said, that day I was surprised by my reaction to it. 
It was definitely the strongest reaction that I had ever had, and I've gone on thousands of investigations into some really strange places. I've been, you know, uh, into places that six foot, uh, 250 pound men would not go, but I went. Where about to leave a cat and flowers? Anyway, <laughs> you guys are boring. Um, now, the group decided to leave, but Willis and another team member named Arnold went back later that night. It was around 11.30 when the two returned, and they crossed the same bridge from earlier. They were overwhelmed with the now familiar feeling of fear and dread. Willis sensed that they were not alone and described that the presence didn't even feel human. As Arnold and Willis reached the top of the dam, they heard something moving in the water, but were quickly distracted by a sight overhead. Arnold grabbed Willis by the arm, spun her around, and on the top of a tall pine tree, they witnessed a large, green, glowing orb. But as Willis fumbled for her camera, the light abruptly disappeared, and the previously noted motion in the water grew violent. Willis described the sound. There was no mistaking it. It was sounded like there was a person in the water flailing and kicking. It was loud enough to have been the size of a full-grown person. After this, feelings of panic started to kick in. As they ran as fast as they could down the stairs and back towards their truck, as they were running, Arnold in the lead, Willis witnessed Arnold suddenly fall into the water. But as she explained, he didn't just fall. I don't know how to explain it. He literally flew upward and to the left. As if something had hit him in the middle of his back, like using his forward momentum, and he went off the side of the bridge and into the water. Willis stopped at the water's edge, knelt down, and began screaming for Arnold, who assured her he was okay, and begged her to keep going, to keep running. As she stood up, she felt something land on her back, something that she described like a two-foot-long H-worm. She says that she was the first to admit that the tale sounds inconceivable, but she stands by the story all the same. She says there's a lot of people that are going to take one look at what I said, and they're going to think I'm either trying to sell something or I'm out of my mind but there are witnesses to all of it. Willis and Arnold were finally able to reach the truck, and when Arnold couldn't find anything on Willis, he insisted that these sensations were continuing, and she eventually broke down crying. While the sensations from that evening eventually subsided, they were not dumb by any means. Willis' experience, experience continued for weeks. She had vivid nightmares and strange incidences that were to occur. She said it was like a common uh, communication with whatever this thing was, like little bits and pieces of it were still stuck with me. She would draw pictures of tentacle blobs while she was at work. She still felt out of it like she was not herself at all. Willis and Arnold made additional trips to Bradley Pond in November of that year, trying to make sense of what had happened. They witnessed beavers acting strangely in the water, and their video camera's batteries had drained suddenly on one occasion. Willis even went back by herself. She felt that if she, as if she was told to go there. She got out of her car and circled the parking lot as if in a trance, watching the bridge and the dam. That same terrible feeling she felt during her initial trip was back. After a few weeks uh, after this, Willis and her husband were in bed watching television one night when they heard their eight-year-old son screaming wildly from the living room. When they reached him, he was pointing to a corner of the living room. Willis and her husband asked him what was going on. Her son said he saw a guy standing there with multiple holes in his chest, wet and covered in blood. To comfort him, she suggested it might have been a shadow, but in the back of her mind, she knew better. Eventually, Willis began to feel like herself again, but the thing on her back was gone. On her most recent trip to the pond in 2007, that if nothing had ever happened, whatever was at Bradley Pond four years prior had dissipated to Willow's release. But the experience would not ever be forgotten. Her group has not uh, been the only ones to visit the site. In July 2006, Shenandoah Valley Paranormal Society had their own chilling experience. A representative from the group shared that something came home with me that night. I was basically haunted, and it went on for weeks and months at a time. She went on to explain how the experience wasn't only a feeling, but there was something physical about the haunting. She noted it felt like swamp. I could feel it moving around on my skin. There's also eerie encounters that have taken place closer to the pond, 
Near the picnic area, spirits have been seen hovering above the water, and if you take the rugged trail around the pond upwards towards the mountains, you might hear the sounds of children's voices in the distance. Bradley Pond undoubtedly a site that might leave you with a chilling paranormal experience of your own if you dare. I gotta say, after finding these stories, I have no <laughs> desire ever to go to, go to Bradley Pond. <laughs> I don't want to bring whatever it is home. <laughs> No desire. Donnie did ask, um, man, uh, when we first started thinking about the uh, grizzly story here in Virginia, man in the mask. Are you? Did you come across something like that when you were looking? If not, we might have to as well. I might have to dive into that. I've heard references to it before, but not on this research. Yeah, Donnie too. Yeah. Donnie sometime off the air. Yeah. But yeah. So, um, yeah, we might we might touch base with you about that, Donnie, and see uh, see what's up with that, so that um, possibly feature that, and when we come back around to do camping part two sometime. Because there's plenty of material. Yes, yes, there is. Is uh, Odin, uh, Odin says hi. Odin says hi. Odin says hi. Odin says hi. Yes, we we miss him, but we are so so happy to know that he is in a very happy and healthy home with Whitney and company. So yes, so been posting some wonderful pictures. Yes, spirits are, that come home with you are not the kind that we want to be around. Yep. <laughs> Donnie says, come on, we'll go to Bradley. <laughs> I don't think I have enough questions to go to Bradley. <laughs> i got to go shopping and then have a full moon or two. Okay. <laughs> oh. so, so with that, we're actually we're going to go ahead and take a uh, dive into a space that I don't know that we've touched on this one at all before. Yeah, I used to live right next to it. Though. Yeah, you were close, but we uh, this might be our first story that we've uh, talked about uh, South Dakota. So, <laughs> so uh, deep uh, deep in the thickly forested ravines of Northeast South Dakota, which in and of itself for me was a bit of a new flash. Northeast South Dakota. We, that was Northeast Northeast South Dakota, but also the deep, deep thickly forested ravine. I thought that place was flat as a pancake, but mostly, mostly I'm, I'm intrigued already. So, tales of the paranormal had long clung to the prairie uh, Coteau Hills area. This belief can be traced back to the Dakota Sioux, who once used the area as their primary hunting grounds. One place in particular, now called Chica, Calogs, um, Chicha, Chicha, that's it, Chicha Calogs State Park, is thought to be the location of a creation and vengeance story where various Native American mythical figures fought. When the first Native Americans visited the location, they called it uh, Shicha, meaning evil or bad. Numerous Sioux legends recall mysterious happenings here. The local Dakota believed this to be the reason for the red-tinted water that gushed out of the springs in the Shepet Hollow. Actually, it was most likely the result of minerals in the water, but still the legend persists to this day. One can still walk the trail of spirits where supernatural forces are supposedly at work. When white settlers first stumbled upon Shicha Hollow and the hills surrounding it, many of the fears of the supernatural were spread from Dakota to the settlers. Native legend told of a stranger named Han, who entered the hollow one winter. The hollow was the perfect place to winter as the trees and hills protected the natives from the cold prairie winds and snow while the trees were a perfect place to obtain fresh meat for the winter. Han wasn't like the other natives. He didn't give thanks or show gratitude for the bounty that Mother Earth provided. He took without concern and it was decided in council that he would be banished from the hollow once the weather turned warm. Han spoke to the young boys of the tribe, convinced them to turn their backs on the old ways and to take what they wanted instead of paying their dues like the generations who had come before them. The elders of the tribe prayed, and after much bloodshed, hand was destroyed by Thunderer, a god the tribe prayed would help them. Is the water in the hollow red due to all the blood spilled by hand's treachery? Is the chanting heard at night the sounds of the elders praying for help? Or are the lights in the sky, Thunderer coming to make sure no one like Hand ever harms the hollow again. Throughout the hollow, mounds of dirt rise up between
between the trees where no animals will go. Are these the grounds of those who fell at hand? The first settler to make his home near what would one day become Shicha Hollow State Park was named Robert Roy in the 1840s. Finding the location to be ideal due to the abundant game, he soon made his home in a deep ravine. The natives thought Roy was crazy for living in an area that they would not dare step foot in, much less make their home. A few years later, an expeditionary force of U.S. government soldiers from Browns Valley set out to find Mr. Roy with the intent of collecting strategic information on what was then the frontier. It took them a number of days just to get down into the wooded ravine where he lived. After they had visited with Roy, the soldiers left, agreeing with the local natives that the man was probably crazy to be living in such a place. During the Civil War, as legend goes, troops were moving the natives towards the reservations, but one group didn't want to leave their home. The Army couldn't convince them to leave the land they cherished for many generations. The medicine man told the Army that they would never be able to force the natives out, and if they tried, the land would be cursed. The Army chased the natives into the hollow, but the natives were never seen again. Could the hauntings of the hollow be the spirits of the natives who took such pride in their land that they would never leave it? As the years passed, more and more settlers moved into the area, and the mythical stories about Chicha Hollow only grew. It was later believed that some sort of beast or Bigfoot-type man inhabited the dense woods. This fear came to a boiling point when several people disappeared at Chicha Hollow in the 1970s. Of the many people who joined the hunting parties for the missing persons, several who participated openly admitted that they were looking for some sort of beast. Such an idea was supported by recent local sightings of something apparently fitting that description. Others thought there might be a bear loose in Chicha Hollow, but a beast, bear, or the missing person, nothing was found. Some parts of Chicha Hollow, nearby Long Hollow, and other area ravines contain a form of quicksand due to the numerous springs. Additionally, there are vast stretches of densely forested gullies and harbor ravines uh, that drops several hundred vertical feet. It is little wonder why mythical stories persist to this day. Over the years, nobody would live in Chichahalo, which is one of the primary reasons that it is a national preserve and state park today. Rising from the plains, these rugged, timber-covered hills and ravines were left after the last glacier receded less than 20,000 years ago. The Indians called them Pahatanka, or Great Hills. Through, uh, through the park runs a national recreation trail called the Trail of Spirits. And along this trail, you'll see the gurgling reddish bogs to this day, the very same ones that the Sioux once thought were, the sprouting, um, were sprouting the blood and flesh of their ancestors. Swamp gas and stumps glow in the dark, and small waterfalls are heard echoing as trapped air escapes. It's easy to understand why these anomalies of Mother Nature were held in awe by ancient and the subject of many legends. For those that have been brave enough to stay in the park at night, many have reported hearing voices and chanting, drumming, the sounds of war cries, and even a few reported sightings of ghostly native warriors. So <laughs> here's the direction of Braley Pond Donnie has asked for. Donnie says it sounds like a windigo. It could be. It could be. It does. Windigos are nasty, nasty business. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I looked this up when I was doing the editing. Get the specifically asked for the direction. Oh, oh, get the address for the place. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's actually one about that. Merlin's talking about North Dakota. Ah, okay. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll get it somehow, maybe some way. <laughs> All right, so we're going to continue going west, and we're going to go out to Utah to Moon Lake Campground. i got to tell you, this one freaks me out. I think it freaks you out, too. Which one, sorry? Moon Lake, Utah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, so um, the next time you find yourself in beautiful Utah wilderness, sitting at the campfire under the stars, you're going to need to tell your friends about the ghost at Moon Lake. Moon Lake is a beautiful spot in the high Yudava wilderness, east of Salt Lake City. But when you visit, you might have an encounter with a spirit of long, long ago. A young girl, maybe seven years old, often approaches visitors sobbing and asking for help. 
You may encounter her in the woods or along the shores of the lake, but she's always soaking wet as if she had just fallen into the lake. She shivers, and her lips are blue from the cold. Of course, you want to help her, so you reach out to take her hand, but she vanishes right in front of you. Maybe you had a beer or six while you were relaxing on the lake shore. Maybe you think you've had one too many, but you're not the first to have met this little girl, and chances are you will not be the last. She's been appearing to campers and hikers for years, each time soaking wet, shivering, and disappearing into thin air right in the middle of broad daylight. Some campers don't see the little girl, but they hear her. If you've ever visited one of Utah's lakes, then you know how sound travels across the water. While you're walking around the near the lake during the day, you might hear the sobs of a child or loud splashing as if something has fallen into the lake. When you try to locate where the sounds are coming from, you're unsuccessful. As the darkness descends over the lake and the campground, things get even creepier. The senses here are stunning, so enjoy them before you settle in to your tent for the night. Now, you might not get much sleep here. As you snuggle into your sleeping bag, you'll hear little nighttime noises of the wilderness, the hoot of an owl, the rustling of a mouse, or chipmunk underneath the brush near your tent, maybe an ear-piercing scream. Oh, wait, what? You didn't want to hear that? You bolt upright, you search for your headlamp, and when you step outside, you see absolutely nothing? But in a few minutes, you settle back into your tent, four screams, accompanied by the sound of splashing in the water nearby. If you walk down to the lake, all will appear calm in the midlife. Yes, Yuna? Thank you for the well-timed scream, Yuna. <laughs> Later, you might hear footsteps running across your campsite. It says that a young girl that you have seen and heard drowned in the lake years ago haunted the day. While some campers never hear or see anything unusual at Moon Lake, others report the same story over and over again. This young girl could be a victim of the legendary water babies that are said to live in the lake. Yes, you heard right, water babies. These creatures have long been a part of the native folklore in the region. One native legend goes as follows. It was a cold, moonless night when the young warrior awoke the strange echoes of the night. He quickly began to start a fire and to make sure that his weapons were close by. As he listened to the strange noises, he kept thinking he heard babies crying out by the water's edge. But he thought that couldn't be because he had seen no sign of anyone else around the area. The young warrior had began watching the water to see what was making the crying noise. Then he remembered a story that his grandfather had told him before he left to find himself and to prove his manhood. Beware the weepings and the wailings that you hear at night, especially by the water's edge. For the water babies will pull you in and take you to their underwater village, never to return. Being young and full of adventure, he thought to himself, I will go and see what is really making these crying noises, for I do not believe these stories of these so-called water babies. They can't pull me into the river, never to be seen again, for I am a strong and a good swimmer. The warrior went down to the water's edge and began scanning the water, until at last he thought he saw something floating in the calm water. He began to wade out into the water until he felt something grab his leg and pulled him under. A million thoughts raced through his mind, but the one that was most important to him at this point was air. He began fighting the thing that had his leg, and finally a voice spoke to him, saying, My name is Antira. I am a water baby. I have come to take you to my house, which is down deep. Antira was small, about the size of a two-year-old. He had long black hair and wore a beaded breech cloth around his waist. Seeing he had no choice but to go, the warrior sighed to Antero. I will go with you, but will you let me go to the surface to get some food and some air to fill my lungs? Antero agreed to this, so when the warrior reached the surface, very quickly he began swimming to the shore. He jumped out of the water and ran to his rifle and bows and arrows. He began shooting at Antero, but he couldn't kill his opponent. He quickly left the place and went down to the stream and went to sleep. He didn't think the water babies were sighted there. He set up camp again and fell asleep. Then warrior vowed never to be dumb enough to see if a water baby was crying for its mother again. He also vowed never to be outsmarted or outfought by anyone ever again. The native warrior was not the only one to encounter the water babies. 
another town called Asbolus. A wolf howled in the distance as the day gradually gave way to night. A light fog began to gather on the edge of the lake, casting a very eerie mood. The trees and the shrubs took on alien shapes, twisted and gnarled. Lizzie hurried faster. Maybe a walk on the beach hadn't been such a great idea. She had only a couple of yards from the tent and the others, but she had the strangest feeling she was being watched from behind. Glancing over her shoulder, she broke into a slow jog. Suddenly she heard a faint noise. It sounded like a poor little baby crying. The half of that beat. She told herself, don't be silly. We're up here in the mountains at Moon Lake and having a great time. The whole campground's deserted. There is no way a baby is out there. Lizzie paused. Started towards camp. The cry once again filled the darkness only louder this way. It was definitely a baby, and it was crying. Lizzie was torn. What should she do? If she ran to get the others, it might be too late to help the baby. But what if it's in the water? What if she let it die? Lizzie couldn't bear that thought. Quickly, she decided she had to go see what was going on. She started in the directions of the cry. Lizzie was terrified, but the thought of the helpless baby pushed her onward. The full moon shone on the path right to the water's edge. Scanning the area, she saw nothing unusual. Where could it be, she thought. She heard a soft whisper. It sounded as if it were coming from the lake. Cautiously, she stepped forward, and an overwhelming sense of peace enveloped her. The water looked so inviting, forgetting the baby, forgetting why she was there, Lizzie waded into the water. Gazing ahead, she was unaware that the warm and soothing water was bitter. Lizzie, stop. Oh, my gosh, Lizzie, no. Lizzie jerked around to the sign of her screen. Lizzie snapped out of her daze, but it was too late. With a sudden jerk, Lizzie went under. The water baby had claimed to be a companion. A voice echoed in Lizzie's head, welcome to my world. It's been so cold and lonely lately. Nobody comes to play. Everyone always runs away. I'm doomed to water this cold, bottomless lake for eternity. You can join me. What fun we'll have. By the moonlight, we'll swim, plotting that to catch our next playmate when the moon shines through the fog once again. The mysterious drowning disappearance slash death, as the police called it, shocked and saddened Lizzie Trent. They could not imagine why she was just swimming alone, but Kirk knew. He knew it was no accident. He had been there. He had tried to save her. He had jumped into the lake seconds after he saw Lizzie go under. It was as she had just disappeared. Kirk had heard of the dreaded water baby legends after the funeral. The baby is doomed to wander Moon Lake, crying at night as it lures unsuspecting children to the water's edge where it pulls them under. The lost children are to keep the water baby company and the bottom bodies are seldom seen again. Thank you. Quite welcome, I guess. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
completely uninhabited. The backcountry is dotted with all kinds of very small mountain towns, and one of them is Cairo, West Virginia. And just outside of Cairo, you'll find beautiful North Bend State Park. Now, many years ago, a man by the name of Ed Coons lived near what is the park entrance today. Ed was blind, which unfortunately left him vulnerable to the verbal and even physical abuse he suffered from his wife and mother-in-law. With no means of removing himself from the environment, the only way Ed knew to escape the cruel taunting and abuse was to take his own life. Legend has it that he hung himself from a large tree near his home. For years, people have claimed that they've seen the apparition of Ed's lifeless body hanging from the tree, illuminated by their car's headlights. In the 1960s, a popular Lover's Lane legend was born out of the ghost stories. It is said that teens would take their cars out near the park entrance, but as they were there minding their own business, they would suddenly hear banging on the car. If they were brave enough to get out and investigate, they would only find a man's handprint left in the dust on the car. Even today, the legend persists. Visitors on foot have reported hearing the spirit of Ed walking along the gravel path to the main lodge behind them. And some have reported only what can be described as a metal barrel on legs wobbling through the trees in the area of the suicide. It should be noted that researchers haven't been able to find any historical sources to back up these legends. However, they have found some limited uh, genealogical information online. While they couldn't find any coons families living in the area. Yes, they did find several families with the last name of Cairns or Cairns. Almost every story has at least some kernel of truth somewhere. There is another ghost legend attached to this particular area of Ritchie County contained within the park limits. Long before the park was built around the turn of the century, the area was home to a small oil room with oil wells dotting the countryside. Near the site of Jug Handle Campground, there was a horrible accident. An oil well exploded, killing one of the workers and literally blowing him apart. His fellow workers gathered his body up to bury it, but they could never find his head. A few years after the death of the oil worker, the small dirt road called Park Road that led between Cairo and Harrisville became a place of legend. A man named Fur was running the equivalent of a taxi service along this road. He'd pick up the oil workers at their camp and drive them along in his buggy to the oil to the well sites. On one of these return trips, Fur stopped at a shallow creek to allow his horses a drink. As the horses were refreshing themselves, the back of the buggy bumped as if someone was climbing in. Fur turned to see who was playing a trick or trying to hitch a ride, and what he saw shocked him. Clinging to the back of the buggy was the figure of a man, a figure with no head only a bloody stump visible below the shirt collar. In a panic, he drove the horses back to the campsite, all the while the bloody figure clung to the back of the buggy. By the time Fur arrived back at the campsite, the figure was gone, leaving the shaken man sure that he had seen the ghost of the decapitated oil worker. Today, the state park, named for a bend in the Hughes River, is most noted for its 72 miles of rail trailway. A series of old rail, railroad tunnels uh, and trails that are now used for hiking and biking. It is on one of these nearby tunnels, Tunnel 19, more popularly known as Silver Run Tunnel, where Ritchie County's most popular ghost is said to roam. <clears throat> there is a legend about a young woman who haunts the old Baltimore and Ohio tracks just outside the town of Cairo. In 1910, a young engineer was making the midnight westbound express run along the Baltimore and Ohio tracks, starting in Grafton and heading toward Clarksburg. When the engineer came upon the short stretch of uh, railway at the entrance to Tunnel 19, in the light of the moon and headlights, he saw a woman in a pale dress with raven-colored hair and golden slippers walking along the tracks. Horrified he would hit her, he tried desperately to stop the train by throwing the brakes into an emergency. He could not stop in time. The engineer would later report to watchmen at the Smithburg Tunnel, about 36 miles west, that he and the firemen jumped from the train, but a layer of fog on the track seemed to swallow up the pale lady. As rumors about the ghostly woman made their way through the rail yards, another engineer by the name of Flannery 
scoffed at the tale and swore that he, if he saw the woman at Tunnel 19, he would drive right through her. On such a foggy night, she was there on the track as if waiting for the disbeliever. Pope Flannery was good to his word and did not break. He was quite smug about it until he got to Parkersburg and got the news that telegraphers along the route were reporting a young woman in a pale white gown and golden slippers had been riding his cowcatcher the entire trip. <clears throat> For many years, railmen would recall seeing the ghostly woman on the tracks and hear her moans while they drove through the drove hard through tunnel. But yeah, it, it's, it's one thing to actually, you know, to see them. Another thing to try and drive through them. It's a whole other thing when there's reports of this specter clinging to the front of the train for miles on end. That's weird. I hope you're fired. <laughs> yeah. I guess you're fired. Oh. That was actually a lot perfect one. But as I said, I found a lot more stories, so there'll be another uh, haunted campground uh, another time. I gotta organize my thoughts and them, but I'm just a lot of fun to do this. And our next one is actually going to be haunted um, military. I thought so. Yeah, haunted military night because we're we're right between Memorial Day weekend and Fourth of July, but there's a good time to do some haunted military bases. And you did also have the one after that. The one after that is going to be. Um, Gettysburg. That's right, Gettysburg, because it's going to be right after battle, uh, the anniversary of the battle of Gettysburg. So we got a lot of military stuff coming your way in the next couple episodes. Yes. Now, I think it's, uh, was it Glenn who asked about the Civil War dogs? There is a story of a dog that guards um, uh, his unit monument, actually, at Gettysburg. I didn't include this one in our story. Um, but the statue of him is on the Alma Monument, mm-hmm. and it's said to move and to, and to bark and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful monument. It is. It's a gorgeous one. Oh, jeez. Oh, all the comments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dog was killed and its owner in the by robbers, it is said that the box protects its owner's grave, and sometimes it is cited on the anniversary of their deaths. That sounds similar to the one that was in the guest. Yeah, we we yeah, had we, we had that one. Um, did we do that on here, or did we do that on the haunted dinners? Both. Okay. Okay. But yeah, yeah. I, there was uh, that was way back in the 1500s, 1700s when uh, the uh, mountains were considered the far, far frontier. Yeah, and the wife came looking for her husband who was supposed to send for her and then didn't. And the ghost keeps appearing in Big Stone Gap. Um, and uh, she heard about this dog in the description and said it sounded like her husband's faithful hound. And so she asked the men who had been seeing it to take her out there. Sure enough, she recognized the dog um, and he led her to her husband's Brave. Um, Before disappearing, and when they dug it up, they found, sure enough, there was a man and his dog buried together. Yes. And that was once she had removed the bodies for a proper burial, uh, the dog was never seen again. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So that's what our stories for the evening. I'm glad you all could join us tonight. Yep. Uh, we're back in full swing tour-wise from Wednesday through Sunday, so if you yeah. want to come on down and see us live, in person. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're on every day for the next week. Yep. We got a private tour tomorrow. Uh, got a private tour yesterday. Got a private tour yesterday. And uh, then public tours Wednesday through Sunday. Yep. So we won't be doing all of them ourselves. So usually one of us is watching them. Yep. We'll be meeting people and all that good stuff, having a good time with that. Spirit guides and investigates, will you all join in? Let us know when and in advance so we can make sure our calendar is free. Yes. How about that? That's the only thing we ask is when anybody asks us to come investigate, make sure you give us plenty of minutes so we can clear the calendar. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I give it a try. Yeah. Yep. 
I would like to investigate up at Fleetwood. We haven't had a chance to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still need to do that. But um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I don't know either. But, yeah. Oh, our, um, our tour last night actually tried out doing a tour slash paranormal mm-hmm. investigation because we had a young couple who are very interested in learning about paranormal investigation, so we brought out our equipment. And we did a little hybrid event. We, we showed off some of the equipment and told some ghost stories. It was, it was so cute. It was. They, they, they were actually out. Um, this For was, prom, because they still didn't have prom. Yeah, and so um, she, um, yeah, it was it was her, mainly her stepmom's idea, but she was all on board with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but her and her date show up in a chauffeur car and dress to the nines. He had a, a, an, an awesome full black tux on, yep. um, which, you know, looking really sharp. And, she uh, had a gorgeous black and red dress oh, on. Oh, her dress. What combat boots. Yeah. The girl came prepared to walk. Yeah, well, I, I, when, uh, when Stepmom mentioned that um, that they were going to be, um, you know, that they were going to be dressed to the nines, like they were going to prom, I'm like, this Choco Bottom, she's going to want to have sensible washing shoes. She had very sensible the washing shoes, shoes. Under, underneath, yeah. uh, underneath that dress. Yeah, so we got to let them play with EMS and um, Catball, Light Up Toy, yeah. and Dowsing Rod. Dowsing Rod. Uh, unfortunately, anything recorded down in that urban environment, it won't work. Yeah. But she had finally interacted with one of our, our ghosts that made them tall, and uh, uh, he actually complimented her on her dress. Which I think she was like home. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. We got to play a, a good session of, uh, you know, you know, got to have a good session of Q and A with them, and uh, always, always good to talk to, um, to, to budding paranormal investigators. Yes, so, so, we're, so we're trying to get her to come out to some of the, the local investigations that we um, either participate in or help folks. Yep. Yeah. So, we'll see. See what happens. But yeah, that was a lot of fun last night. Definitely a. Uh, um, uh, a unique one. That don't often have um, people coming out on tour stress for prom. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Glenn in Point Lookout, again, in Maryland. Uh, ah, yeah. It's also another haunted campground, and yes, right. we have um, covered that a lot before <laughs> I didn't include it. But Chris and Ashley have camped there, and yeah. we have heard some interesting things at night. Yeah. Ruffling through the, the seagrass. Yeah. But <laughs> if you, you take a close look, it's it, we what we found uh, like the crabs all get out there and see grass. So yeah, it, the crabs, the skunks. So you have to be very careful of what you're hearing. Like, is this an animal or is this something else? Beautiful campground, though. Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. And don't go in August. Oh, unless you have very, a camp. Yeah, yeah. Unless you have a high tolerance for heat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a great campground. Definitely mm-hmm. go back. Um, and um, even with the um, you know setting aside the. The, the stuff that can be debunked due to the prayers, there definitely are some very oh, you unusual, can energies. very unusual things that happen there. Yeah, and it's just fun to explore. Plus the lighthouse that is also. Yeah, which I think Glenn we, mentioned that um, the, the lighthouse has been renovated and is now well, over for, yeah, well, it's restoring. So we, we do. We do. Um, so yeah, that's another common thing that we do. Yep, not too far from us. What about three hour drive from here? Yep, that's all. Yeah. As long as the bridge is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so as always, uh, any questions, comments, concerns, well, not concerns, but hey, got concerns or whatever, feel free to drop us a line. We always love to hear from you guys. It doesn't have to be just this once every two weeks. Um, yeah, drop us a note anytime. We're happy to uh, to chat and stuff like that. We so. But, yeah, my family's coming in next week, which is why I've done three scripts already. Yep. Which is why I'm a little burden dead. Three scripts all last week. Oh. Yeah, um, I just have to do my editing, and you got, you got a little breathing room. Yes, I do. And, yeah. um, <laughs> well, what you can't see around us here is the actual complete bombed-out shell of this room. So It was we, clean until we went on vacation. We got some cleaning <laughs> up to do. Um it's probably just as well that your family's going to be staying in a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Johnny wants to know how the pretzels were. The pretzels were amazing, really, actually. Really good. Very, um, very good. Sea salt instead of kosher salt. They came out much better with the sea salt. Yep, thick with sea salt. Um, but, yeah, I made soft pretzels for dinner. They were very tasty. Very tasty. 
<laughs> if you want the pretzel recipe, you should drop us a note.